Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. It is pretty extraordinary to hear the CEO of a big company plead guilty to involuntary manslaughter, but it happened in a Butte County courtroom yesterday. On behalf of PG&E, how do you plead to violation of Penal Code Section 192B, involuntary manslaughter as a felony, concerning the death of Carol Arrington as alleged in Count 6 of the indictment? Guilty, Your Honor. That's Pacific Gas and Electric CEO Bill Johnson pleading guilty. He entered guilty pleas again and again and again for the deaths of 84 people, all of them victims of the 2018 campfire, which was sparked by PG&E equipment near the town of Paradise. Johnson also pled guilty to one felony count of his company unlawfully starting a fire. Later this morning, victims of the campfire, the most destructive in California history, will read a series of testimonials in the same courtroom. Phil Binstock lost his elderly father in the blaze. He says the guilty pleas don't heal the pain he feels. It doesn't bring closure. You know, I will miss my father. I will never know how he died, what horrible form of death he faced. It doesn't bring closure. But it's good that the public knows how we feel. I want to convey the disgust I have for a company like PG&E. They're a monopoly, and they don't care about human life. They've killed people repeatedly. The mega-utility will likely be in the news more later this week when a Superior Court judge in Butte County decides whether to approve a plea deal reached between PG&E and prosecutors. The settlement calls for PG&E to pay a fine of $4 million. That's the maximum allowed in this case. And it's worth mentioning that despite all those guilty pleas, no one from PG&E is expected to go to prison for the company's crimes. More evidence that we can't be complacent when it comes to the coronavirus. Here in Southern California, both San Bernardino and Riverside counties have announced their single highest one-day jumps in COVID-19 cases since the pandemic began. San Bernardino reported 281 new novel coronavirus cases on Tuesday, and Riverside County, 409 new cases. Public health officials are asking people to continue to take precautions like wearing masks and are warning that business reopenings could be reversed. In one response to the pandemic, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation says it will allow for the early release of inmates who have 180 days or less left on their sentences. The nonviolent offenders will have to prove they have a place to live once they're free. The announcement comes as cases of COVID-19 inside California prisons continue to balloon. KQED's Alice Wolfley reports. At San Quentin State Prison, just north of San Francisco, 33 inmates have tested positive for COVID-19. That number has more than doubled in the last week. The outbreak began two weeks after more than 100 inmates were transferred from a prison in Chino, which is experiencing a huge outbreak, including more than a dozen deaths. Rasan Thomas is incarcerated at San Quentin. He feels his life is at risk. I don't know if I'm tough enough to survive COVID. And I'm just pissed off. They were doing such a good job of keeping it out. 
and then they transferred it here. Since March, around 8,000 people have been released from state prisons because of coronavirus. But Adamu Chan, who's also in San Quentin, says overcrowding is still a huge problem. People here in H-Unit are still sleeping inches away from their neighbors in cramped conditions. Um, and I say that just to illustrate that the numbers that are being put out don't properly paint the picture of what things look like um, here on the ground. CDCR says all staff at San Quentin have been tested and that inmates are provided with masks and hygiene products. But advocates are calling for comprehensive testing of inmates and want the prison to provide masks, soap and sanitizer free of charge. There are currently more than 3,000 cases of COVID-19 in California prisons. 17 inmates have died. For The California Report, I'm Alice Wolfley. There's an update now in a case that warning here many will find disturbing. The family of Robert Fuller, the 24-year-old black man found hanging from a tree in Palmdale, north of L.A., says they will seek an independent autopsy to determine Fuller's cause of death. City officials initially called his death a suicide until that conclusion was challenged by the family and protesters. The sheriff's department says it's looking for surveillance video that could shed light on what happened. It's also doing a forensic analysis on the rope and will look into Fuller's medical history. KCRW's Daryl Satzman has more. Fuller was found with a rope around his neck early in the morning hours last Wednesday near Palmdale City Hall. Lawyers for the young man's family say they are outraged at authorities' initial rush to judgment about his death. They want the independent autopsy to be paid for by the city of Palmdale, and they're seeking any leads from the public. L.A. Sheriff Alex Villanueva has expanded the investigation to include the State Department of Justice and the FBI. We're going to constantly be cross-checking each other's to make sure we arrive at the right conclusions based on the evidence and the facts that we have at hand. The coroner first reported no signs of foul play, but now says an official cause of death will not be released until toxicology tests are completed. Many have questioned whether his death could be a hate crime and related to a second hanging nearby in Victorville. For the California Report, I'm Daryl Satzman in Los Angeles. You might have heard about statues being pulled down around the country and around the world. The monuments commemorate historical figures once hailed as heroes, but who are now seen by many as oppressors and exploiters. Here in the Golden State, California legislative leaders yesterday decided to remove a statue of Christopher Columbus and Queen Isabella that's been in the Capitol Rotunda since 1883. One problem, the statue is so big, they haven't yet figured out how to move it without using a crane. Also in Sacramento, Sutter Health removed a statue of John Sutter from its medical campus there. If you remember your California history lessons, Sutter is associated with the gold rush, but he's also accused of leading massacres of Native Americans. Ina Rodriguez is with the Rincon Luceno tribe and was happy to watch Sutter's statue come down on Monday. He enslaved, raped, and murdered thousands of Native Americans. We don't need to be glorifying people who have been negative to California. In another debate over our history, there's a push to rename U.S. military bases that are named for Civil War-era generals who fought for the Confederacy. 
Well, the issue now confronts the small Northern California coastal town of Fort Bragg. Like the Army base in North Carolina, the town is named for Braxton Bragg, a slave-owning Confederate general. A soldier who fought under Bragg during the Mexican-American War named the fort, which is now a town of 7,000 people. Now there's pressure to change Fort Bragg's name. I called up Mayor Will Lee to ask him, what do people in the town really know about their town's namesake? You know, it's never really discussed here amongst locals. And we, we know, and our kids are actually taught that it's named after Braxton Bragg. Uh, but really, that's the extent of it. That's the only connection that we have is that this fort was named after Braxton Bragg. And so that's that's really it. Um, we have no monuments here, no statue of the guy. So given that's the case, how is this issue echoed through the community? I mean, if I were to walk around Fort Bragg and talk to residents about the name change issue, what would they tell me? Well, if you talk to longtime Fort Braggers, they will tell you, don't even think about it. It's never going to happen. You're not going to change the name of our town. We are Fort Bragg. But we are hearing more and more from locals mostly in the outskirts, but some from in town, that now is the time to consider a change. But I can tell you the majority of longtime Fort Braggers is that do not even think about it. You know, you're crazy for considering it. But do you feel that when it comes to the wider national conversation about race and American history, that maybe outsiders should have a voice in your town's name? Do, do you understand where that's coming from? I do. You know, we don't feel forced. To discuss this. I feel like uh, we should uh, open it up and, and discuss it, and that's the reason we're doing it. Um, what my plan is, is that if the citizens of Fort Bragg, the voters, decide that they want to have a ballot initiative, then there's a citizen's initiative process where they can gather the signatures, put it on the ballot, and have people vote for it. It should be led by the people that live here with input from surrounding communities, and the rest of uh, our state. And if a name change does happen, what are some of the other names in the running? Well, there, um, Noyo is one of them, Point Noyo, and, um, and, and some other Native American names that I can't even pronounce. But um, that's main, the main one, um, and that's about the only one I think that would have any, um, any bearing that people would agree upon. Okay. Will Lee, mayor of the community, still known as Fort Bragg, at least for now. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Saul. I appreciate the time today. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, June 17th, a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, a not-for-profit offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. For more information, visit earthquakeauthority.com. Personal Capital, offering remote telefinance services with financial advisors and digital financial planning tools, personalcapital.com and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. 
you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.